Hello and welcome to the Edge of the Box World Cup final preview in association with Bet Victor. Dan Bardell doesn't get out of bed for Messi versus Mbappe, so I am your host today, George Ellick, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, tactics writer Raj Chauhan and uh, who scores Ben McAleer as we look ahead to the big game on Sunday. Uh, but naturally, I think before we dive in and start having a look at uh, who we think is going to win the World Cup and, and all the uh, bits around the game, we should look back at the, the semi-finals first and analyse those performances. And um, Ben, you've got a, a, a semi-final best 11, the best performing players from those two games. Yep, so it's in a 4-3-1-2. We don't have any Morocco or Croatia players in there. Uh, in goal is Emi Martinez, then to back four, Jules Koundé, Christian Romero, Ibrahim Konate and Teo Hernandez. Midfield three of Enzo Fernandez, Aurelien Touchamini and Yusuf Lafana. Antoine Griezmann's number 10 role and then, of course, Messi and Alvarez up front. Yeah, very, uh, as you'd imagine, finalists heavy there uh, after the two teams won. But let's look at the World Cup, uh, I guess, kind of more in general. Um, this is the, the last show we've got of, of the World Cup and it's been a pretty good one, Raj, hasn't it? I think we've seen um, maybe some stylistic differences in the fact that it's come midway through the season as well. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing we've seen is teams aren't pressing as much as we see in domestic football. I think there's been a lot of success from teams just sitting a bit deeper, conserving their energy and then countering uh, counterattacking very quickly. We've seen both the finalists have had joy from that. Um, France actually had less possession than Morocco last night, which is a very surprising stat. Morocco didn't have much in the rest of their games. So, yeah, I think there's definite stylistic differences there. Maybe that is due to it being mid-season and people and players being tired from the rest of the previous season, not having that break after the after the season's ended. But yeah, it's, it's been fascinating to see that really, op- the opposite of what we're seeing in like the Champions League, Premier League. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've noticed is when you watch, whether it's Liverpool, City, you know, Bayern, whoever it is, even when they go ahead, they normally continue to, mm. to kind of step forward and have the ball in the opposition's half. In the World Cup, apart from maybe Spain, it's been so game state dependent where whoever's basically behind has then ended up dominating possession, dominating the ball. Yeah. How do you see the final, therefore, looking? Is it We've got both Argentina and France who both seem to sit in yeah. when they're in front. How do you think it's going to look? I think, obviously, we've seen Argentina as well. They conceded possession to Croatia for most yeah. of the match. Again, game state dependent, as you said. I think I was expecting France to be a bit more on the front foot yesterday, but it didn't happen. And that's against Morocco. Against Argentina, I think they're going to do similar. I think Argentina will end up having a bit more of the ball. Um, and France probably have that greater counter-attacking threat. They've got a bit more pace in those advanced areas of Mbappe and Dembele, uh, as opposed to Argentina relying on just Julian Alvarez providing it. So I, I do expect France to sit that bit deeper and, Fra- and Argentina have a bit more of the ball. Until Argentina go ahead, then suddenly it's <laughs> yeah, the other way. Yeah, probably. Um, let's have a look at some of the you know the best players, I guess, um, of, the, of the World Cup so far. Ben, who's, who's really stood out and impressed you? Maybe surprisingly so. Uh, I'll say Anton Griezmann. I know he's a world-class, world-class player, mm. but it's his change in role. Uh, he's been playing that number 10 role like you'd expect him to. Uh, and he was, you know, scored four times at the 2018 World Cup. But he's been dropping deeper into midfield to kind of help Tushamani and Rabiot usually. Uh, against Marco it was Fofana. Mm. Um, I'd say that has been, you know, the biggest surprise for me is that it's just this change in role and the way that Griezmann has adapted to playing this kind of number eight, number 10 hybrid, which is... Been really surprising, but he has slotted into that sort of role seamlessly. Yeah, he has. And uh, anyone, I mean, the Moroccans have obviously been the surprise package so far. Um, we could probably go through the team and say he's been the most impressive. Anyone really stand out for you? I mean, as you say, any of them could have <laughs> make an argument for all of them, but I'd have to say Amrabat. 
Um, he has dominated midfields with, you know, against Croatia, against Spain, against Portugal. And 12 months ago, he could barely struggle. He really struggled to get into the um, Fiorentina team. Uh, was linked with a move to Tottenham. Tottenham fans were thinking, why are we going after this player? He doesn't even get in the Fiorentina team. How would he improve us? Yet, fast forward 12 months and he's been linked with Liverpool. His stock is just soaring as a result of this tournament. And you have to look at that tackle we made on Mbappe last night, which was just unbelievable. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the greatest tackles you'll ever see. Um, it's just the way he covered that distance, you know. It was a real frantic, I need to get back, I need to get back, I need to get back, head all the way back as far as he could and made it. And it was an absolute sensational tackle. And that kind of just has just summed up him and to an extent Morocco as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see. It does feel maybe quite trappy, do you think? Like these Moroccan players who've had such a good World Cup, you often see uh, big teams coming with big money mm -hmm. bids for teams who have good tournaments and then it doesn't go so well. I mean, Unahi is the one who I think Angers must have fielded mm -hmm. quite a few calls about his availability. And you wonder... Is he as good as he looked in those in those few games? Um, he'd be the one I'd take out of it. Raj, who's who's impressed you? Yeah, I agree that he. I think he's been fantastic going forward. His ball carrying, especially, he's, he's powering up the pitch. Reminds me a bit like Kovacic for Croatia. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other guy is probably Gvardiol, the Croatia left-sided centre back. He's been excellent. I think he's an immense athlete. And then also, as well as defensively, he can carry the ball out excellently well. Um, and Messi, I know, embarrassed him, but Messi can do that to any defender. He's only 20 years of age. Um, and I think there's big potential. He's already been linked with Chelsea and other clubs. Also, thinking back to the group stage, another guy who impressed me was Mohamed Kudus from Ghana, uh, plays for Ajax as yeah. well. Um, I think he's got a lovely combination of skills. He's technically very, very good, close control dribbler, um, and he's got that pace as well on top of that, and his ball striking is, seems pretty good from distance as well. So he's a guy I think should be on the radar of a few clubs. Um, he's already played well in the Champions League as well, so he's got that bit of pedigree behind him. Yeah, Kudus is the 12th. Uh, best rated player on the Who Scored ratings in the World Cup so far, 7.53. My wild card I'm going to throw into the ring for the uh, for an unlikely successor in the World Cup, Harry Maguire. Come on, like 20th in the, in the Who Scored rankings. Everyone said that Southgate should be sacked for starting him. I'm not blaming him at all for the uh, for the Giroud header against France as well. Um, good to see Harry. I'm sure I'm probably going to get cancelled for saying that now, but good to, good to see <laughs> Maguire performing so well in England shirt as he always does in these tournaments. Um, disappointments then. Ben, who's, who's really frustrated you, players, teams, who have you thought has really under underperformed? I mean, you can't look beyond Uruguay. Mm. Um, you know, they're dark horses for so many, uh, so many people beforehand. I had them as dark horses. I thought they've got a really good core squad experience there. They've got really good attacking players in there as well. But, you know, they only scored twice and it just wasn't enough to get through that group. Um, Benton core was excellent for them mm. in midfield. But beyond that, they were just very, very ordinary, which was a real shame for Uruguay and people like myself who took them as a dark horse. Yeah, uh, Raj, who disappointed you? Yeah, the frustrating thing about Uruguay is I think tactically it took him three games to get it right. The first two games, he didn't use the right formation and then finally he realised 4-4-2 is what's best. Before he was putting Darwin Nunes out wide, Suarez or Cavani as a lone striker, then suddenly he just put him as a front two and he saw what happened. They actually did well in that last game. Um, and also, I think he limited the likes of Valverde by playing him a bit more defensively. And he, he's, he can't do with a play like that. He's already performed well in a Champions League final and a Champions League win. So, yeah, they, they are disappointed. Germany as well, I was a bit disappointed by. Performance-wise, their metrics were actually quite good. They created the most expected goals out of any team in the group stages. It was just that finishing touch. I was a bit disappointed with Hansi Flick's decision to use Thomas Muller as a number nine rather having some faith in the other players in his squad. Fulcrug ended up being a, a decent performer yeah. for them. If he'd started them, 
uh, if he started him, sorry, would that have been a different outcome? Possibly. Um, and then the, the centre-back slots have been an issue for them as well. Um, what about Denmark, Raj? I'm inter interested to get your, your thoughts on them. You know, they were so impressive in the Euros uh, last summer. Um, not much change in terms of the management, who's, who's got such a, you know, a great reputation. Christian Eriksen back in the side as well. But it was unbelievably flat, wasn't it? What, what, why do you think they were so poor? Uh, what I felt with Denmark is they went too direct all the time. It was always looking for those long balls up to the top to the big men. Um, and, and they didn't get much success from that. They weren't playing through the thirds like they normally did in the, in the Euros, for example. I didn't see any of that uh, passing move football that they looked good with before, even getting to the nation, uh, beating France twice in the Nations League group stages. We didn't see any of that kind of pedigree mm. in the World Cup. Uh, I think the style of football was the big problem with them. Um, they've got some decent individuals, as you say, but didn't maximise them. Yeah, they were the team I told a normal host on the show, Dan Bardell, to back. And uh, yeah, he wasn't very happy with me for saying that at all. Um, finally, just before we move on to the final, Ben, uh, we can't talk about disappointments. I feel bad doing it. Um, and not to about Romelu Lukaku, one of the hardest to watch halves of football, I think, in, in the World Cup so far. I mean, what is it about Rom where he's either devastatingly brilliant or has days where it's going to take him a while to get over that, isn't it? Yeah, um, he obviously had his injuries beforehand. He's not necessarily been rushed back to fitness, but he hasn't got that match sharpness that he showed so ruthlessly with Inter. Um, I mean, at Chelsea, he did show it in spurts, but they had a different style of play with Tuchel. Uh, mm. One of the more selfless forward. Um, it's a shame that Belgium didn't have him fully fit and firing for the group stages. But as you say, it's going to take a while for him to kind of get over that. It was four, four clear-cut chances missed and... Uh, he, you know, his his time in the World Cup, and he barely managed a game. So it's not ideal for him. But again, it's it's one of those things that happens when you have injuries. You you're not rushed back, but you're lacking that match sharpness, which really impacted him. Yeah, it really did. Um, but let's move on from the disappointments and talk about the World Cup final. Um, yeah, three o'clock kickoff on Sunday in the UK. So don't get caught out tuning in at seven o'clock and start finding out the game is already over. Um, but let's start with Argentina, the first team who, who qualified. And uh, let's start with the, the Alvarez and Messi partnership. But I, I think many people, including me, thought it would be uh, a Martinez and Messi partnership. But Alvarez uh, ended up doing the nod for the most part of the, uh, I mean, how different it could have been if Latoura had scored those goals against Saudi Arabia had stood. Um, but it's these two playing now and they are, um, you know, the Argentina's top two rated players in the tournament so far. Messi top by some distance. Messi, obviously, Short press favourite to win the golden uh, ball now as well, Raj. What is it between these two that you think really works? I think, firstly, you have to give some credit to Scaloni. I think he started the f um, tournament with a 4-3-3 formation and Alvarez, even when he played, was playing on the left wing. And now suddenly he's realised, I can get these two up together, up mm. top in a front two, laterally using a 4-4-2. And you've seen the chemistry between them. I think what, it, how they suit each other is Messi likes dropping deep into those deeper pockets, uh, dribbling from there or passing from there. Uh, saw with his assist against Netherlands, that was an, a fantastic assist from a deeper position. And then with the um, third goal against uh, Croatia, he kept, picked it up in a deeper position and dribbled past the whole team, basically, and, and Guardiola as well, uh, and then assisted Alvarez. And Alvarez, uh, kind of opposite style of play, likes penetrating in behind in that space that Messi then leaves by dragging defenders a bit deeper. And that's how they complement each other. I think people have compared Alvarez a bit to Aguero, I actually, I actually think he reminds me a bit more of other Man City, uh, former Man City striker who was also an Argentinian, Carlos Tevez. Mm. I think he's got that kind of work rate and physicality about him. He's hard to push off the ball and he does all the dirty work for Messi to then conserve his energy for when he's on the ball. 
So I've liked his form. I think also Lautaro obviously is a good striker, don't get me wrong, but you saw his confidence was had taken a bit of a hit. Mm. Even when he came on against Australia, he had a chance and he fluffed that one. I thought he was going to miss the penalty as well in the shootout. Yeah, yeah, I thought that as well. Yeah. Um, but then obviously Scaloni's seen something and he said, Lautaro's probably not in the best form or confidence. I'll put this guy in, Alvarez, and, and he's thriving now. Yeah, he really is. And you know the, the narrative is absolutely dripping off this game, isn't it? You know, it's Lionel Messi's last World Cup game. Uh, his opportunity to finally win the World Cup. Amazing to think that just a couple of years ago he retired from international football, having not won a trophy with Argentina, now with the Copa America in a, in a World Cup final. I mean, golden ball win already? Is that already done? Oh, that is, you know, million, million dollar question, really. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's an argument for both him and Mbappe. And yeah. a lot of the time, you look at the Man of Match awards that have been awarded, they've gone to the, you know, the most popular players. De Bruyne, for example, won it against uh, against Canada and said, "I shouldn't have won this." And um, so, if you're going on popularity, you can't look beyond Messi. But again, if he loses, you, you think Mbappe, it should be Mbappe. But we saw in 2018, Modric lost the final, mm. still got the golden ball. Um, Messi in 14 as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's Messi to lose. He hasn't necessarily dragged Argentina to the final, but he has, of course, been the standout player for them. He's just got a much stronger support cast now with the likes of Alvarez, Di Maria, and then that very hard-working midfield three. Mm. Um, I yeah, can't look beyond Messi for me. Can't look beyond Messi. I think I probably agree with that. Um, but Scaloni does have a couple of decisions to make in terms of um, his team selection. We've seen him tinker quite a lot. Ben, one of them is at left-back, not the most you know glamorous of, of positions to have to choose between, but Acuna and Talifico going up against each other. Where do you think he'll, he'll look for this one? I think Tagliafico did start the game against Saudi Arabia um, and then Scaloni saw what happened there. He made three defensive changes for the game against Mexico. Um, Acuna was one of those to come in and since then he hasn't looked back since really. Mm. Um, he's, I'd say he's stronger offensively than, uh, than Tagliafico. Uh, you could make the argument that Tagliafico is the stronger defensively but Acuna's tackles per 90 stats add up compared nicely to Tagliafico. Um, if he goes for that 4-4-2, you want the width from the fullbacks, um, and I think Acuna would be the stronger shout than Tagliafico to play that role. Well, we've also seen um, Scaloni shuffle the pack a fair bit in terms of the midfield players as well. Paredes mm -hmm. came back in, um, but it wasn't one of the midfielders that dropped out with, with Enzo, um, DePaul and McAllister all starting as well. Do we anticipate that he'll continue to look to pack out that midfield, especially because what you were saying earlier about them maybe dominating the ball in France's half? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, as you say, I've been impressed by Scaloni's change systems according to the opposition. Obviously, he used a three at the back against Netherlands yeah. as well. And as you say, switched to the 4-4-2 um, uh, in the, in the semi-finals. The two kind of normally central players playing wide as well. So. Yeah. So, again, he's looking to control that midfield off the ball as well. And I think that's going to be important. We mentioned him earlier, Antoine Griezmann. He's a, I, everyone's coming up with anti-Mbappe plans. No one's come up with an anti-Griezmann plan yet. And he's the guy running the show. You even saw for the goal, first goal yesterday, it was him picking the ball up in that right half-space mm. area and then linking the play and, and creating havoc in the box. So I think the 4-4-2, if they play those four central midfielders again, that would be helpful to play against Griezmann, especially on that left-hand side. Kunde doesn't really get forwards, so often leaves that left-sided midfielder of the 4-4-2 being able to help out. So you have two men there helping out with mm. Griezmann. Um, I think that could, that could be a decent strategy for Argentina. So, yeah, I, I think I would go for the same system he used. Do you, do you think coincidence, both of you, or, or, or not, that Antoine Griezmann's two match-winning performances have come in games where Kylian Mbappe has been 
basically marked out of the game for the most part. No, I think there's a definite element of truth there. Yeah. You even saw for the um, first goal against England, is Mbappe drew about three or four men in, next to him, mm. and then he was able to switch the play to the right. Griezmann then got the assist for Chiumeni. So yeah, no, I think you're completely right. There's a definite correlation. How do you reckon they're going to set up as well to try and combat both? Uh, you know, it was just stop Mbappe, beat France, now it's stop Mbappe and Griezmann. Well, it's not even stop Mbappe and stop Griezmann. You've got, <laughs> yeah. you got Dembele there as well, yeah. and then if they can get the ball wide and get the ball in the box, you've got Giroud. Mm. To, uh, he's come up very clutch for France again. Um, they just It's that front four is probably the most balanced at the World Cup. Um, again, you, you've got Griezmann, who was supposed to play that number 10 role, but the way he drops deeper, drags players out, opens up the space in between the two banks. You have Giroud dropping deeper as well, and then you can see Mbappe and Dembele making runs in behind. Um, it's... It, you know, it's this is a decision for Scaloni to make. As Raj rightly pointed out, he'll probably pack the midfield, try and stop Griezmann, try and stop Mbappe. But then, you know, this is why France are in the final. They have four world-class forwards that can do the damage. Yeah, they, they indeed they do. Um, before we get on to France, we have a look at the the combined eleven uh, between the two sides. Yep. So we've got it as a four-four-two, and I know there's going to be some ire in there that Griezmann's been playing in the number ten <laughs> role and got him in central midfield. Always but, the way. Yeah. But he has been sort of dropping deeper. He's been playing that kind of dual role. So I think there's an argument to be made that he can stay in there. Uh, in goal, we've got Hugo Lloris. In defence, it's Jules Koundé, Ibrahim Kanate, Nicolas Otamendi, and Teo Hernandez. Midfield four is all France of Dembele, Griezmann, Rabiot, and Mbappe. And up front, it is Giroud and Messi. Great stuff. Uh, let's turn our attention to France now. And uh, Raj, you know, I, I get in trouble when I say this about Real Madrid as well. Uh, when you watch France, right, I just, is it a talent that they, they are able to progress in these knockout games when you saw last night, you know, they're under the cosh for a, a great deal of the game, albeit from 1-0 up. Against England again at 1-0, not so much at 2-1, but at 1-0 again, they were under a lot of pressure, yet they find a way to win. Is this because they are a very, very well set up tournament team. Have they cracked it or are they you know, living on the edge and eventually things are going to come undone? Like, I guess, you know, with, with the Croatia argument and their inevitable uh, winning, wins and penalties, eventually that is going to come up and, and catch up with you. I think there is a definite theme to their matches. I think it's calculated from Deschamps. I think he starts games a bit more aggressively. Mm. Um, you often set, see him set up with a 2 3 5. So he pushes a lot of men forward. Griezmann, for example, joins the front three. And then one of Fia Hernandez or Rabio or Fofana last night then also makes a run either overlapping or underlapping Mbappe. So he does set up aggressively to begin with. But then when they get the lead, as you say, they surrender a bit more possession, defending a pretty deep 4-4-2 um, and have interest in more counter-attacking. Um, and I think that does play into the fact their forwards, Mbappe and Giroud, aren't the most um, energetic or guys who will press from the front. Mm. So it, it does suit the players, the strategy that they use. Um, I think Mbappe's had the least defensive contributions of any outfield player in the tournament so far. So that shows a kind of he's just conserving his energy really for going forwards. So yeah, I don't think it's a fluke. But as you say, there are some vulnerabilities there. I think especially down that right-hand side, Morocco targeted it yesterday. Hakimi and Ziyech mm. uh, were getting forwards and overloading Fio Hernandez at times. Because that left side does get left a bit more vulnerable sometimes, it's normally tasked for the left-sided uh, midfielder to cover that space because Mbappe is further forward. So Rabiot mainly for France, but he plays that role. But he can sometimes get caught further forward and more central. So then it's key that you can counter-attack quickly down that right-hand side. And I do wonder, even if Scrani does use a 4-4-2, will he bring Angel Di Maria into the mix on the right side of midfield? Because mm -hmm. he provides that greater attacking threat than Rodrigo de Paul and try and target that weakness down the French left. Possible, but obviously it's a risk to change the team at this stage. 
Paul has been uh, struggling with the hamstring injuries or groin injuries, so maybe yeah. they are going to um, rotate. That could be the way to play it. Um, but Ben, you know, even watching the game against France game against Morocco, for all of Morocco's brilliant, um, you know, attacking football, good interplay in the final third, they didn't create a great deal. And, and as part of that, because of the solid defensive unit that we see, you know, it was um, Kenyatte and uh, and Varane last night. Upamecano has played another game previously. Um, do we have to credit France for, despite surrendering territory, they're not really surrendering big chances? Yeah, and that's where the winning experience comes from. I mean, Lloris won the World Cup 2018, uh, you know, mid-30s now, uh, Varane has won it all with Real Madrid. They just have the experience that they know they can sit deep, soak up the pressure, and then you know, hit, hit teams on the counter that, that way using the um, wide outlets. It's, it's risky, though, very risky, especially against Argentina. I mean... Australia nullified Argentina for 34 minutes. They remained compact, they frustrated them, and then suddenly Messi springs them to life. That's the issue that France have to contend with now. They can sit back and they can remain compact and they can try and hit them on the counter as much as they want, but you have to stop Lionel Messi. Mm. Um, you know, teams have been able to soften Mbappe. He's the other argument for the golden ball. And then France have the other players. But stopping Mbappe and stopping Messi are two very different things. And it just feels like if they do continue with that sitting deeper trying to soak up the pressure they will get bitten by Messi I mean that is the interesting way to look at it there's so much talk about how do you stop Mbappe and I think part of that is because of his pace but you don't really hear too much about how do you stop Messi like do you think the way that France are usually set up out of possession Ben says there he doesn't reckon it is is that an effective way to stop you know probably one of the best players we've ever seen in tight spaces in, in Lionel Messi I think they could be vulnerable to him down that right-hand side. Uh, mm. As we saw yesterday, the likes of Ziyech getting space in those uh, pockets mm. on the right. Uh, Messi's a different animal to Ziyech. And you saw even Van Gaal try to man-mark him with Nathan Ake at times. Even that doesn't work. Because yeah. this guy's dribbling is too good. Um, and I think especially if France use Upamecano rather than Canate, I think they could have a few issues. I think Canate is better at judging when to be aggressive. is a bit more like Guardiol mm. of Croatia. He will go for the ball all the time and step out of the line. That, I've, I have a feeling Deschamps will go back to McCarney. He's got a bit more loyalty with him compared to Canate, even though Canate did play well last night. So that could be a definite area. Again, leaving that space for Alvarez to run in behind after Messi's done his magic in deeper areas. I think they could be vulnerable to that. Yeah, interesting if they, if they will be. I mean, it does feel like it's, it's going to be a risky tactic to sit off and let Lionel Messi have the ball. I think that's never been a way particularly people, you know, but how else can they do it? Like, do you see... Any players in the uh, in, in the France team who could necessarily go toe to toe with Messi and try and kind of mark him out of the game, or is that just not really worth even trying to sacrifice a player for? I think Chouameni is probably the one guy yeah. who could do it. This guy is pretty good as a ball winner. He's he's quick, um, but again, you saw even someone like Gavardio. He's a, he's again a very physical, quick guy, and he still got beaten by Messi. So it's it's a risky ploy. Um, and obviously, if you do take Chouameni out as a man marker, then it leaves space for the other guys. Um, in, in midfield, like some McAllister is, is no uh, is no slouch himself. He's a very technical player, so yeah, it, it comes with a bit of risk. But he's probably the one guy I think could do it. And in terms of another matchup as well, we've got uh, Argentina, who you know we know like to have their fullbacks playing pretty high. We saw you know in the game again against Morocco, where the further and further forward Morocco pushed up, and the further forward Hakimi played, suddenly they started getting joy, especially in the second half, and that's where the second goal came from as well. Um, and you know the, the aforementioned tackle um, from Amrabat as well, covering for the for the advancing mm. Hakimi too. Um, is that an area here where you've got a team in France who have all the tools then to play counter-attacking football, have an incredible pace out wide and quality too? 
is that going to be the key battle, do you think, in the, in the game, is possibly how, whether or not France can expose that, that, that high Argentinian line? Absolutely. I mean, you look at Acuna and uh, Molina, they like to push forward. And if they can peg Mbappe and Dembele back, great. But if they're chasing the game, as Morocco were, they will get plenty of space in behind. And in Griezmann, they have a player who can spot the pass to ping it out to the right or the left and capitalise on those runs in behind the Argentina defence. Well, now this might age very, very badly and very quickly, but at the time we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, there is a lot of talk that Karim Benzema might fly out to Qatar. Um, you know, he never, um, his squad place remains. He was never taken out of the squad. He's due a medal if, if France do win the World Cup, which I think... Um, you'd feel pretty embarrassed putting in your in your trophy cabinet. Although I don't know if you can ever feel embarrassed putting a World Cup winner's medal in your trophy cabinet. But yeah, I mean, there, there is some talk that he might go out to fly out to to France and be part of um, their their World Cup final match day squad. It feels unlikely. It also feels probably like the most Olivier Giroud thing that could ever happen is that he hasn't the tournament of his life, age age thirty six, and ends up being taken out of the side in the final. Um, any chance? Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, this guy, he's been playing too well, Giroud. Um, obviously making a crucial difference against England as well. I think he sealed his spot in the final. Uh, I think there has been a lot of talk that Giroud is the better fit than Benzema. I wouldn't necessarily agree. I think Giroud's strengths are matched by Benzema and probably he's got a bit more stardust about him as well. Obviously, Giroud's an aerial threat. Benzema's an aerial threat. Giroud can be kind of subservient to another attacker as he is with Mbappe sometimes and help him thrive. Benzema's done that with Cristiano Ronaldo in the past as well. So I think their skill sets are similar. Mm. I, I think France would still be in the final if it was Benzema up front. Um, I think uh, e e even for the final, if you'd ask Deschamps who, who'd rather have fully fit Benzema or Giroud, I think he'd still go Benzema. I think we, we saw quite a good um, like natural fitness test yesterday when we all saw that Romain Saiz was definitely injured when he made uh, Olivier Giroud look like Mbappe with the way that he's street clear. I've never seen uh, Giroud look so fast before and he was hooked off about 30 seconds later. Um, I mean, if you if Deschamps gets the gets the option to at least have Benzema just sitting on the bench, and then if you know if he went all down to the World Cup final with ten minutes to go, you'd rather have him there than not, wouldn't you? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, Giroud got his chance there by chance. I mean, if Benzema hadn't been injured, it would have it wouldn't mm. be Giroud starting. But you know, he's come in. He didn't score in twenty eighteen, and now mm. he's still in the running for the um, Golden Boot. So. If he does bring Benzema in by some miracle, then, you know, incredibly harsh on Giroud, who has been excellent for France. Um, it, but again, as you say, if, you can bring, if you're chasing the game, if you bring Benzema on, you know, he's a world-class striker for Real Madrid. He, you know, Ballon d'Or winner, after all. Um, he's a better option than uh, Moani to come on, who is, you know, no poor player himself. So, it, <laughs> I mean... As you say, this might age terribly. It might be that in an hour's time, Deschamps like, no, there's absolutely no chance. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't know what you're talking about. We, we've got this. But if by chance Benzema is fit to make the squad, then he's a great option to come off the bench, that's for sure. Yeah, Deschamps was asked about it after the game on Wednesday night and said uh, he didn't want to talk about it. So oh. read into that whatever you'd like. Um, you know, Giroud famously you know, was part of the World Cup winning side in, in 2018 without having a single shot on target. It's been very, very different. Uh, this time around, he had two shots on target in about a minute against England, one of which, of course, went in. Um, why do you think he's, he's, he's having such a great tournament this time around? I mean, he looks... We know that when Giroud is in, is in top form, he's so dominant in, in the, and aggressive in the opposition box. Uh, but this time, he just looks full of confidence and, and a massive goal threat, as well as his other uh, brilliant attacking player as well. 
I think previously in 2018, Giroud, as you say, was more of a link player. He, yeah. he had the other guys around him doing doing the goal scoring, Mbappe and Griezmann as well, was playing a bit further forward in a kind of second striker role. Now Griezmann's dropping that bit deeper and providing that creativity from deeper. Giroud can now occupy the penalty box more. And I think that is why he's getting more goals. And he's a bit more of a star in this team rather than last time he was a bit just more servicing the other guys. So yeah, I think that's a definite reason. I think Griezmann's role has impacted on Giroud. Yeah, Giroud, one of uh, four players who can still win the Golden Boot. And we talked through that market and plenty others with Bet Victor's Sam Boswell. Yeah, delighted to be joined by Sam Boswell from Bet Victor as we look at the Bet Victor markets ahead of the World Cup final between Argentina and France. And fair to say, Sam, um, you can't split these two, can you? Uh, in the to lift the trophy market, 10 to 11 each side. Yeah, what a, what a brilliant final I think we've got in store here. Uh, I think it was the third most popular picked outcome, Argentina to face France uh, in the final at three o'clock and a cracking tie and storm. We can't split them at the moment. And I think you can see why when you, you look at their form coming into the tournament, um, what they've done. Argentina's biggest price to, to lift the trophy would have been shortly after that 2-1 defeat to Saudi Arabia. They've overcome that and the genius of Lionel Messi really has propelled them into the final against a French side that on paper, I think, have been pretty efficient in their play. Uh, albeit, I thought Morocco definitely gave them a scare or two and were arguably a little bit unlucky. Yeah, I'd agree with that. France, marginal favourites in the 90 minutes market as well. Who are punters backing? What did you see pre-tournament with these two and who are people getting involved with now? Yeah, strangely, Argentina were a more popular pick in the outright anti-post market than France, which seems a bit odd when you consider France being the defending champions. Mm. Plenty of quality. Obviously, we did see the loss of Karim Benzema. There's been a few rumblings that he could turn up for the final on Sunday, which would be some some story if he was to make an appearance off the bench. I don't know whether that will happen or not. But Argentina, definitely the Messi factor. Plenty of people like to play the, the double of, of Argentina to win and Messi to be the top goal scorer, that kind of thing. So they were definitely more popular out the pair in that side of things. At the moment, the money is pretty evenly spread. I think a few people are keeping their powder dry for Sunday. But there'll be plenty of interest as we go through the week, I think, and the stories start to come out. We've got that third-place playoff game as well. But... It is all about the final now. And I predict that the French will go off clear favourites in the 90-minute market as we've got them at the moment. Interesting stuff. Uh, time to look at goal scorers now, not just in the game itself, but in the top goal scorer market as well. Uh, this is top goal scorer, so not a golden boot. So this means if their two players are tied at the top, it doesn't come into assists. Dead heat rules do apply. Uh, but you can't split the top two, unsurprisingly, both on five goals. Uh, but there are a couple of other ones in the market at 16-1 to 1 as well. Yeah, we'll give a quick run through. So, obviously, we've got Messi and Mbappe tied, both of them even money. Um, for me, a brilliant narrative here. Obviously, potentially the passing of the torch from one genius to, to another future talent. His speed is just so deadly, Mbappe. Uh, I'd rather be with Messi myself at the moment. I think you're going to get plenty of set plays from him. And the other two to give a quick mention to, Oliver Giroud, seemingly a timeless, brilliant player, uh, headlining that, spearheading that French attack. And he's had a brilliant tournament, 16-1. to And Alvarez as well. We can't rule him out. What a player he's been for Argentina, 16 to 1 as well. Then if we turn to the match market itself, the goal scorers there, we've got Lionel Messi, uh, shortest price of everybody for the first goal scorer at 72, anytime 17 to 10. Keep your eyes peeled. We will have a boost, I suspect, on him for a goal scoring uh, related bet. Mbappe next in, fourth one to be first goal scorer, 2 to 1, uh, anytime. Looks great value to me. And Giroud, probably the price that he shouldn't be in my book if he was a slightly more sexy appealing player in terms of markability. I think he's 11 to 2 
the first goal scorer would be shorter. I think he's a great price against an Argentine defence that have conceded goals. Yeah, interesting to see no Karim Benzema in the goal scorer list yet. We'll have to wait and see with news on that one. Uh, off the Who Squad site as well, you can see that if you're looking at players and total shots so far in the competition, Lionel Messi is top on 27, Kylian Mbappe second on 25, and then a massive gap down to uh, Ivan Perisic in third on 16 shots alongside Olivier Giroud, third equal there. So you can see just how far clear Messi and Mbappe are in terms of taking their shots. Um, the bet builders... Uh, incredibly popular with you, Sam, as well. Um, and people can look out for, for cards and, and passes bets there as well when, when the lines do come out. Yeah, I must say the bet build has been a real success story for us. We've revamped it. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do go and take a look. I think you'll find us as competitive as any of the market leaders out there now, which is fantastic news. Everything you can imagine is on there. Shots on target, shots, match shots, team shots, that kind of thing, which I know is a really popular market, as well as the individual player stuff as well, which is, is always good fun. And do keep your eyes peeled. Have, have a go at building it. And I must say there's plenty of interest around those markets, partly because of our bet builder, but also because our final of Crack the Code will run on this game. You've still got time to get some qualifying bets in if you check out betvictor.com. Everyone's been given pre-assigned codes related to goals, corners and cards. And if you match the winning code, you'll be lucky enough to pick up a huge £100,000 prize. Best of luck if you're involved in that. And it should be a fantastic final, George. Yeah, absolutely should be. Interesting to see Morocco dominating possession against France. You do feel like game state plays a massive part in those passes markets. So I think whoever you think is going to win the game, maybe go overs on the passes on the, on the other side of things. And a little tip from me as well, Emmy Martinez uh, to be booked in the game. I think if Argentina are ahead with any time to go on the clock, look out on the bet builder for Emmy to be booked because he does like to take his time on goal kicks when Aston Villa are ahead at least. Two bookings in his last two games in the Premier League there. So it could be an interesting way to play this. Uh, do go and check out Bet Victor for all of your uh, betting needs ahead of the World Cup final. And you can use who scored for the stats-based stuff as well we mentioned there. Uh, thank you very much to Sam for taking the time to talk us through their markets. Yeah, the third placed playoff now. And uh, normally I would have no interest in this whatsoever. Uh, I think even when England played in it four years ago, I didn't even watch it. Um, but this time around, is it a bit different? We've got the Moroccan story, you know, one of the biggest underdogs to ever play in a semi-final. Is there a chance they are more motivated than, than teams we normally see in this, able to set that record of, of, of African progression in the competition? Yeah, definitely. I think you look at the support they're getting as well. I think that'll still be there in Qatar. That'll play a big impact on how motivated they are going into the game. And I think this game might actually suit them a bit more because I think Croatia will look to dominate the game in possession with their technical midfielders that they have. So Morocco can sit back in that shape they use against Portugal and then try and get that goal on the break, so it might suit them. Uh, it will be an interesting one. I think it will be an interesting one for scouts as well. Mm. You can see whether Amrabat and Anahi, these midfielders who have starred for Morocco, can they have an impact on a midfield like Croatia's and stop them from playing their games? And if they can, maybe that will translate well to playing for a higher club because um, obviously they're physically very capable. It's about whether they can technically handle that kind of midfield and get some control in possession against Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like this is a, maybe a better addition, but I can't imagine Luka Modric um, is particularly excited about this being his final World Cup fixture. Um, is it time to, I mean, they'll never do it, but is it time to get rid of this? Does anyone care? If, uh, I mean, as you say, Morocco will care. I don't know yeah. if Croatia will. I mean, they... I don't even know if England won ours. I have no idea. Lost to Belgium. Did we? Yeah, lost to yeah. Belgium. Twice in the same yeah, competition? Yeah, same competition, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which says it all really yeah yeah it just shows that I've been, I've been saying we haven't been beaten in a, in a knockout game um, in 90 minutes but we have uh, yeah. before France but even though not a knockout game because it's the last game it's, 
I'd sort of compare it to Community Shield. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a glorified friendly. Yeah. Like, I mean, fair enough, if Morocco win it, that's going to be great for African football as a whole. It's going to mm. show the progression that has come. I mean, when Pele said that an African nation will win it within the next 20 years, Morocco have now you know, made history um, and they have a very good squad to do so. Croatia, I mean, after the heartbreak from four years ago where they lost to France, will they sort of go all out for it? They probably will, maybe to see Modric off with mm. you know, a podium place at the, uh, at the World Cup. But Morocco probably will. It's just one just on you know, them wanting to say, well, we finished third. It shows the progression. But it's, you know, third place playoff, I would rather see it gone, to be honest. <laughs> well, let's, let's praise um, Modric then for a second, Ben. You know, it's, it's, what, it's three and a half years until the next World Cup. You wouldn't say it's impossible, um, but maybe it's more likely we'll see it in 18 months in the Euros. Um, but what a player he's been. And, and again, showing moments of brilliance, even in the semi-final. There was that one moment on the right-hand side where he did that flick over the head and then the, and then the ball across. I mean, his vision, his work rate, his ability, he's just a, an absolute marvel. Yeah, he's 37. Mm. Like, that's unbelievable. Uh, he's just Maybe we can rule out the, the 40-year-old World Cup in three and a half years. Oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe him and Cristiano can set up the oh competition. Yeah. <laughs> Walking football. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are not enough words to describe just how good Luka Modric is. Yeah. I absolutely adore Luka Modric. Um, he just makes football look so easy. And you think there's going to be, this is the season he's going to you know, slow down. This is going to be the season where he regresses and starts to show his age. But... Nope, not again. Four-three-three three in that midfield with Brozovic and Kovacic. He's just been excellent again. And you know, if he has to finish third in his final World Cup game, then so be it. But if he can, you know, still be around eighteen months' time for the Euro twenty-four, then it wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm. And Brozovic had come off with an injury, didn't he, early in the second half? So whether he'll be fit for this one, we're not sure. Doesn't seem like the kind of character who shows up for third, fourth, fourth place playoffs either. But um, in terms of you know the matchups here, Raj, we're not going to go into it in as much detail, of course, as we did for the for the um, for the final. But it does feel to me at least like you've got a Croatia team who have so much talent in midfield, who really lack that goal scorer up front against a Morocco side who have proven themselves to be very very adept at preventing the opposition from creating good chances. Yeah, so I think it's going to be a game of very few goals. Mm. I think they've got similar weakness in terms of how much potency they've got up front. Uh, obviously, Enlisiri did score against Portugal, but I haven't really been that impressed by him as a striker for Morocco. And again, Kramaric for Croatia has been nullified, really. And their other bench options, Livaha and uh, Petkovic, haven't impressed either. So I don't see, I see it one goal either way, uh, a 1-0 win. Um, probably will go on for Morocco based on that motivational aspect and the fact they've got a bit more to prove about themselves. Um, and, and I think this game will suit them in terms of how deep they'll be able to sit. Um, but yeah, so, yeah it, it, I don't think it'll be a great one to watch. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not going to be watching it. I also do think as well, like if Croatia go 1-0 up, I think the Moroccans will, will, uh, will continue to fight. I think if Morocco go 1-0 up, I think the Croatians just think, just get us home now. I think it's time we, we get back and uh, start thinking about our domestic football again. Um, ben, finally, have you got a, a combined 11 between the two sides? Yep, it's in a 4-3-3 with uh, Leverkovic in goal, Hakimi, Lovren, Gvardiol, Mezraoui in defence. Then you've got that Croatian midfield three of Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. And up front you've got Ziyech, Enesiri and Perisic. There you go. Um, don't say we don't spoil you. Not only a World Cup final preview, but also a third place payoff one as well. Thank you very much for watching Edge of the Box in association with Bet Victor. Make sure you subscribe to the Who Squad YouTube channel where you can find all Edge of the Box episodes there. We'll be back in the new year. Have a great World Cup final and have a great Christmas and the new year as well.